episode 22 of Tall Poppy. I'm your host, Tathra Street. This is another interview with someone who I came into contact with in the project I was working on last year. I have such a distinct memory of Vern being so passionate about mentoring. Vern Fetke is a seasoned business owner with a real desire to give back. He runs a financial services company that serves the local area in Wyndham, the Werribee and Hoppers Crossing areas of the west of Melbourne. He believes that community engagement and social responsibility are a necessary part of business. He started out in the Air Force and later, as a business owner, got more involved in community with Rotary, local foundations and schools, and has added a couple of things like being a Justice of the Peace and a bail magistrate to his qualifications. Not surprisingly, he's received a lot of awards for his community service and with his business, in fact, three years in a row. The last thing I'll say about Vernie's is he's also a great photographer. The table in his office lobby is filled with beautiful books of his trips around the world that he gets made of his own photos. And a note on Aussie vernacular. You'll hear Vern talk about a blue healer and a ute. For those outside of Australia and New Zealand, a blue healer is a dog and a ute is a truck. Oh, and tradie is short for tradesperson. Welcome, Vern, to Tall Poppy. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about who you are and where you hail from. Well, I'm originally um, from South Australia in a rural area in South Australia looking after all the, the wheat and sheep area. Um, I uh, grew up and uh, some would argue that, <laughs> that I've grown up, but yep. um, um, lived there until I was 17, moved out, joined the Air Force and um, started uh, my career from there. Excellent. So tell us a bit about your business. The business we're in today is called Homestead Financial Group and we provide uh, comfort for people in all matters financial, uh, estate planning, um, anything that revolves around their personal well-being from, um, as I said, from financial to legal to insurances for their motor car, um, borrowing money for a home, all of those things. And I understand that this is a business that has um, received quite a few awards. Can you say a little bit about that? Well, there's some time ago now. We've, um, we've won the uh, business awards for three years in a row back in... Oh, hang on, let me just backtrack a little bit. On the 1st of May this year, we will have been um, in 20 years in, in existence here mm-hmm. in Wyndham. Mm-hmm. Um, in the first three years of existence, we uh, we won the uh, business awards, and since then we've sponsored the event. So we've um, continued on with that relationship, sponsoring and uh, assisting the other businesses in the area to 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 move ahead. Mm, excellent. And so clearly, you're a, a well-regarded person in the business community, and you've, um, you know, you've you've come into my awareness because of um, the role that you played in the Enterprising Tarnit program as someone who was put forward as a mentor. Um, and I'd love to talk more about that in a moment. But I, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what leadership means to you, just to start with, and what it means now that's different than it was earlier in your life. Yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's a good question. Leadership in my early days, obviously in the military, was very different to, uh, to corporate life, if you like. So for the first part of my career in, in the military, leadership was a, a extremely important because 
the uh, the stuff you do um, at times um, people's lives and your own depend on you learning what's been um, passed down from in over the centuries so you know trust your training is is probably one of the one of the mottos that all military personnel um, revert to when they're facing a crisis trust your training and and, and follow those processes then when I crossed over to to corporate um, I, I guess there was a, a distinct difference between management versus leadership and uh, and what I noticed was management was an individual who was uh, providing leadership within parameters whereas a true leader will uh, create the parameters. Nice, I like that distinction. So how do you think people describe you as a leader? I don't know. I probably um, cheeky. <laughs> yep. Um, I, I like to. I like to think that as a leader, um, the the best way to to achieve an outcome would be to ask more questions than making statements. Mm. And I think the best way to to achieve that is. Um, ask the appropriate questions that allows the individual the opportunity to make their own decisions on the outcome rather than make a statement or a declaration, this is how this should proceed. So assist that individual, uh, assess the options, and they make up their own mind on which way forward. Excellent. And are you willing to share with us anything that um, particularly motivated you to change yourself to improve your own leadership? As I said, it was out of necessity because going from the military to a corporate environment, military is extremely structured and we followed instructions to the letter of the, of, of the instruction. And um, it, it, then when moving over to corporate, um, having people say no or why was, uh, was quite unusual. So it was out of necessity that... I learn a different way to to get the same result. And can you say a little bit more, bit more about, um, in terms of you know getting the same result, getting you know people to you know do what you ask of them, um, when in the military you would just expect compliance, and outside of that it's a bit of a different story. So can you say a little bit more about how you managed to inspire the same result? Well, it um, it's probably a little bit like going for a road trip. You can go directly from point A to B, or you can take the scenic route. And and I guess in corporate life, um, we uh, we sometimes take the scenic route to um, to achieve the same result. However, I think there's a, in a lot of cases there egos involved and who gets the credit. So if if a true leader positions themselves out of the frame of the photograph, if you like, positions themselves out of that and allows the person who's doing that to do it in a fashion that suits their style and you get the same result and you don't need the credit, allow them to take the credit, then um, that's a good thing. Mm. However, you know, a lot of times so-called leaders 
which probably um, best describe as managers, tend to want to be in foremost in that frame of the photograph, if you like. Yeah, yeah, I hear what you're saying. So you're inferring it a bit, but I would just want to ask you directly, what are the values that are important to you in leadership? Fairness. Fairness, I think. Um, openness and, and giving people choice um, to make their own decisions. And I think, and I said to a moment ago, um, rather than making statements, ask questions because questions allow the individual who, who is part of one of your team members, part of the team, allows them the opportunity to, to make a decision because if they're making a decision, they have ownership of that decision and, and it is more likely to, uh, to happen. Mm. So I'm going to move into mentorship a bit because I think from my experience of you, you have a, a very deep commitment to mentorship. So can you say a little bit about uh, what it means to you and why you think it's important? Well, my overall thinking with mentoring is that it absolutely strengthens communities and that's, that's really the bottom line. Without, without mentoring, if you like, we'd probably all still be uh, living in caves. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and with mentoring, with education, we all grow and learn and we all carry with us the learnings of the past. And if we um, continue with mentoring in such a way, it is an obligation that we pass on this knowledge so individuals don't have to relearn this stuff. Absolutely. Um, I, I call it um, tribal knowledge, if you like, and it's almost perceived to be at times instinctive rather than learned behaviour. You know, there are numerous um, stories that we can recite that um, describes um, instinctive behaviour or how things are, are done around here. You know, this is the way we do it here. And that's not st- stuff that you can read in a book. It's stuff that's picked up along the way of, you know, um, how do we add that, you know, if you're a chef, for example, you know, to, how do you know to add that little bit extra salt? How do you know to uh, uh, season it correctly? Because it's just the taste and you can't describe a taste so much in a recipe book. It's stuff that you pick up, as I said, which sometimes almost appears to be instinctive, instinctive know-how. But it's all so much tribal and it's what we pick up along the way. So it's without necessarily naming it, it's about being able to pass on information or things that we've learned and gleaned in, in our you know years of experience to those who are um, at a different place in their journey. Yep, and it's stuff that's rarely written down. It's, you know, if, if I was to um, use one of our team members as an example, uh, one of our young men who's been with us over 12 years, um, if I was to take a snapshot of him when, we, when he first started to a snapshot of him today, when I hear him speak to, to a group or when I hear him instructing the, his team members now, you know, it's almost like listening to a recording of myself talking to him 
and, and it's, it's really refreshing to, mm. to see that these things are being passed on. But once again, you know, they're, they're rarely written down. Yeah. So have there been mentors in your life that have made a difference for you? Yes, yes and no. They're, they're probably, I don't have, my, only my parents are probably my only real, they're probably more role models than mentors because leaving home so early, uh, in in life, I, I really didn't take advantage of of them being mentors because I lived across the other side of the country since uh, since being a, a young man. But um, no, I think my parents were were great role models, um, and there's probably two other individuals that are role models to me, and that's uh, Sir Peter Cosgrove and uh, Sir Richard Branson, and they're probably. You know, from the military, and if you look at those, they're, they're completely opposite people. One very structured, very um, considered in, in, in Sir Peter Cosgrove, and, and Sir Richard Branson, he is uh, the absolute entrepreneur. Uh, so there's two different people, and the way they do things is probably reflecting my background, but I, I, said I like um, keeping abreast of what they're doing. And my parents, because um, my mum, um, she's um, long past now, but um, she only received three part years of primary school education. And she would um, do the crossword puzzle in the newspaper every day, and that's how she taught herself uh, to read and write English. And that's wow. how she survived. She's an absolute gem. And so English wasn't her first language? Uh, German. Okay. Yep. Mm. And my dad is also uh, German, but um, he, well, his parents are German. He was actually born on an English ship on the way out here. So he was determined to be, as, uh, as, as us Australians are allowed to call him, a POM. And uh, so he was then recruited to... Uh, to fight in the, in the army, he was in the army in the Second World War, and he was a rat of Tobruk. And given that um, German was his first language with his parents, he was quite a, a useful individual in the in the Second World War. I can imagine. But the um, yeah, I guess there's downside to everything, and you know, really things haven't changed because in that time when he was fighting for the uh, the crown, um, his parents were interned. Oh. So, you know, that's the sort of, you know, and we still see it, don't we? Mm. Nothing's really changed. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, we tend to um, tend to uh, run with our fears as opposed to educating ourselves. Mm. So speaking of educating ourselves, uh, with the Enterprising Tonic Program, which helps um, to educate people to run businesses um what is so important to you about the mentor aspect of that program being a mentor or mentoring the individuals um both okay well being a a mentor i think the the main point there is that we have an obligation to our community as as business leaders um over the last 20 years in this business um, it has been business has been very kind to me, and it is um, we have drawn a, uh, a, a significant revenue from the area enough to um, provide uh, 
sustenance for 20 families to pay their mortgages, to, um, to um, educate their children, to feed their children, to grow and do all the things that we need to do through our life cycle. And, uh, and I'm grateful for that. And those of us in business really have an obligation to, to pay back to the community in whatever ways they can. And, you know, it's, it's very easy to be what I call a, a, a someone just using their checkbook to, uh, to, to help people. But, you know, hands and feet on the ground, uh, there's, there's, there's no real comparison to doing that. We must pass on this knowledge and help people along the way, give them a a hand up. Mm, beautiful. And uh, one of the conversations that's um, been happening uh, since the program is looking at the value of, say, seed funds compared to the value of, say, you know, 12 months worth of coaching with someone like yourself and the, the different kinds of impact that that can have on a business. So um, can you say a little bit about what you see there? Yeah, it's, a, it's the old saying, as I meant, it's a hand up or a hand out. And I think I think we need a combination of both. Um, sure, there's a, there's a value to everybody's time and the time that we put into helping a, a person improve their lot in life and their business. Um, I think I think that's uh, extremely important. But also helping them with a, a little bit of seed funding is, is quite significant because in the scale of things, you know. Uh, um, providing seed funding could be the difference between having a business and not having a business. Yeah. So it's got to be a combination. Mm. It's a, a, a balancing act, really. And so what's it been like for you in being able to be a mentor for um, participants in, in this program and, and just, you know, the experience that you've had in, in seeing, you know, even the difference in being able to review the business plans, the, the draft compared to the, the final and, you know, what, yeah, what, what, what did you see there? Well, the yeah, before and after, I guess we're talking about the snapshot of before and after with the, the people who were setting the businesses. I think there's been a huge difference. Uh, everyone everyone would like to, to be a business owner and be um, in control of their own destiny. It, the difference between those who, who action it and just dream about it is... Uh, it, depends on a, a few things encouragement as I said whether they have the finances to do it or whether they um, want it bad enough and um, I often say to people you can have whatever you want in life but you have to want it bad enough and um, and I often actually my, my father it was one of the ones who told me that and um, I think um, if you do want it bad enough you you'll, you'll make it happen mm. So what difference do you think a mentor can make in, in someone's entrepreneurial journey? We can make, help them make it happen, help them see the, uh, the processes needed because in this day and age there is so much governance and compliance that we need to ensure that firstly we do things within the, the, the law and we have to ensure that all of those boxes are ticked. So um, people have to be paid, they have to pay their superannuation, they have to pay their work cover insurance, all of those bits and pieces have to be considered. And, you know, in starting out in business, uh, we have an idea to make widgets and uh, it seems like a good idea because everyone wants a widget. However, um, if we uh, were to 
buy widgets for a, a dollar each and sell them for a dollar each, the answer isn't let's get a bigger truck. Mm. So I'm aware that in our society it's, it can be difficult for people to ask for help. And I know for myself, in terms of my own journey, I was like, you know, pretty determined I was going to do it on my own. And I had sort of, you know, not very traditional business ideas. And I didn't want to approach business in a traditional way. So it it, um, it kind of had me in this space of, well, you know, people might be offering this, but that's not what I want. And, you know, I, I kind of had this staunch independence that has me kind of go, oh, I'm just not going to look for the help. But now that I'm, you know, many years into it, I wish that I had. I wish that I'd put my pride aside and my naive ideas and and gotten a mentor, gotten the support, learned the things that I, I've learned, you know, much further into it. Um, so I wonder what your thoughts are around, you know, the, just this whole thing about the, how hard it can be to ask for help. Yeah, I, I, guess it, I guess it can be hard to ask for help, given that, firstly, in starting in business, we don't know what we don't what we don't know, and I think that's part of the problem. In that we we are all quite naive, because there is always go, always going to be a whole bunch of hurdles that we need to jump over for governance and compliance. So that's that's the basis that we we need to at least be compliant. The second bit is. How do we then maintain that compliance and also become profitable, providing a, a, a product or service to the community that, firstly, that we can see adds value to, to individuals' lives? Hmm. So imagine someone who's listening, not really thinking of themselves as a potential mentor. What would you say to them to help them see that they have something to contribute as a mentor? Yeah, that's a, another another interesting question. I, I think everybody has something to offer, even if it's even if you know over the years you've tried a couple of businesses and you've messed it up. Um, what you have to offer is these are the mistakes that I've made. This is my learning from those mistakes. Don't make those again. And I think in Australia we have a a culture of not celebrating a failure. And that's a huge issue to me because if someone fails, you know, we tend to shun them in, in some way. And and, that, and that's poor because, you know, we should be embracing those people and saying, well, come on, get back on your bike and let's have another go at this. Mm. Rather than that, we, we, we tend to, um, penalise them. You know, if, if something happens and it turns insolvent, for example, we're, um, we're declared bankrupt and we can't do anything for seven years. That's dumb because these people need to, you know, we, we, we need to give them some sort of way of continuing on getting back on the bike again and, and having another red hot go. The laws here in Australia are, uh, prohibit us from, from doing that. In the United States, it's a little bit easier to get back on the bike. And the culture there is, is somewhat different. If you uh, make a mistake and a failure there, then, you know, we can uh, easily get back on the bike there. But here, it's it's really difficult for people. Mm. You know, and that encourages it. You know, making it so difficult here encourages 
what they call the uh, the Phoenix companies, the ones who uh, who want to get back on the bike again, they're forced to create a Phoenix company with a, another family member who may or may not be a director of that company just to get it going again, mm. and 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 that's the problem. Right. So thinking of it from again a potential listener thinking of a, about looking for a mentor. Um, I've heard lots of sort of pros and cons of um, formal mentorship as far as, um, you know, having a bit of structure, but also um, informal mentorship where yeah. it's just a bit more um, casual, I suppose. Yeah. So uh, if, if someone's thinking, oh, maybe, maybe a mentor is something that I need to seek out, what, what would you say? I, I think it's extremely important that we seek out mentors. And as you rightly suggest, you know, there's the, the formal structured uh, mentorship and that can be an internal um, situation within a corporation. And as, as companies grow, those formal structures uh, tend to pop out. But in the smaller businesses, um, the informal nature is probably what happens. But, but certainly everyone who's in business should consciously um, seek a mentor, whether it be from the industry that you're wanting to get into or in, or from a completely different industry that gives you an objective perspective rather than a closed shop perspective. Mm. So is there anything else that you think is really important for people to know about the concept of mentoring that would be useful for our listeners to hear? Yes, there's, there's, there's always a whole, whole bunch of stuff that about mentoring because mentoring, mentoring leads to succession. Because if, if you're starting up in business, you will go and seek out a mentor and have someone steer you along. Then as the business grows and you become comfortable and confident in your own skin on what you're doing, then you will take on another person and you'll become the mentor. That mentee that you have as an employee will eventually form part of your succession plan. And they may very well take over from you when you're ready to retire. And this is an issue that really drives me crazy because we are currently about to see a tidal, as I call them, a tidal wave of baby boomer tradespersons who are wanting to retire and the rules around the place haven't allowed them to have a, a, a a mentee, if you like, and then move them into being part of their succession plan. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Let's assume that uh, we're um, a carpenter, a chippy, and I've taken on an apprentice, and apprentice wages are fairly low, as we know, and that person has come to the end of their apprenticeship, a qualified tradesperson. Now, what usually happens is that individual then leaves uh, that business and they think, oh, I'm going to set myself up in business now. So they go and buy the, the their tools of trade, the ute and the blue healer, and all of a sudden they're in business. Now what's happened there is the um, that knowledge that that young person has picked up from that tradesperson is now left that business. Mm-hmm. They've got to go and find another person and that tradesperson who's just graduated, if you like, they have to start afresh without any real business knowledge. 
they have knowledge of the trade but no business knowledge right, yeah. on how to conduct a business. So that all has to be relearned and this is where they find themselves in a lot of trouble because the bash statements, all of those things that happened for an SME. Anyway, back to the, 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 the tidal wave of baby boomer tradespeople that I'm talking about. As the, this, the rules of superannuation are quite clear, um, the individual who is running as a sole trader, they are not compelled to put any money into superannuation. So when they decide to sell their business, which in essence the business is them because they usually use their name, you know, Joe Bloggs Carpentry or Brick Lane, whatever it is, they've le- left the business, but there's still some goodwill there, but they were the business. The business isn't an entity in its own right. They were the business. Yeah. So what they're failing to do is create an entity that a young person can be the successor. Hmm. So an apprentice should be their natural successor. So it starts off through that process, the, the trainee or mentor, uh, then they educate that individual to take over from their business and they have a built-in buyer, if you like. Buyer for the business, want to... Exactly, finish, yeah. because as I said, they uh, as a sole trader, they're not putting away superannuation for themselves. So the, they will always say the business is my superannuation. Mm. Yet when they leave the business, whether it be to old age or physical, uh, they, you know, their knees are shot or their hips are gone or whatever it is, they've got nothing to sell because they are the business. There needs to be something for an apprentice from the time they qualify. So after that, they can go and do some sort of business training, which should be subsidised by the government, and then there's got to be some arrangement between the owner of that business and that individual who's wanting to buy the business where they can come up with some sort of arrangement or contract to buy the business, which may or may not be um, funded by uh, the government. So So they take out a loan, for example. So what's the risk, given we've got this sort of demographic um, situation going on here, what do you think is the risk to the workforce? Well, the risk to the workforce is that we're losing a whole bunch of knowledge each time and we're having to reinvent that business wheel each time a a new apprentice hops out and grabs his blue healer or her blue healer. that's that's the danger there. The other bit is that the people who are retiring, it's going to be more of a burden on the uh, the Centrelink budget, right? Because they they haven't been able to you know support themselves in retirement. Yeah, so they've got no um, sort of financial security in any way. Very very little. As I said, I think I think mentoring can then go on to succession planning, which then makes that business perpetual if that cycle continues. So what you're suggesting is instead of um, people coming in and learning from someone as an apprentice and then leaving to start their own thing, that they actually, if, if it works well to work to continue to work together, that they stay in business together so that when the, um, the uh, mentor is 
looking to retire that the apprentice, former apprentice, um, can take over the business. Absolutely. Yeah, right. You know, so we're not creating new businesses all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm. And, yeah. And that way the, uh, the, the person taking over, the successor, has a great business, the goodwill and all of those things that's come along with the business. The person who's retiring receives a fair and equitable um, payout for the business, whether, however that's funded. It might be funded through, as I said, to, through some sort of government scheme or it might be funded through vendor terms from the, uh, from, from the, the seller. Mm, interesting. So there's a whole bunch of things happening, but it keeps that, as I said, by doing it that way, there could be a perpetual nature of that business. Mm, yeah, gotcha. So I want to um, switch gears a little bit and go back to talking a bit about um, your own leadership and, um, well, your own leadership journey. Uh, and, you know, you've clearly done a lot of educating yourself to, you know, um, learn whether it's things that are uh, different from what you've been doing or to, to sort of stay current with how things are changing. Um, so what are some of the things that, that have really stood out for you as um, things that have been a valuable learning experience? Yeah. I'll have to think about that one a bit more. It's over the, over the journey of learning. I, I, I don't know if there's any particular milestones that I can pull out at I, it's it's more about the, the journey and being open to new things and and looking and observing and immersing yourself into the whole situation. Um, we had a discussion earlier early today when I was talking about the last uh, the last time that I went to uni and uh, I the question was what did I I was asked what did I learn and really what I learned was a whole bunch of uni jargon all the things that I was doing in business, they happen. Nothing has really changed. You know, we're not inventing new roast dinners. You know, there's, there's, still the, there's still the same things on the menu, except they call them different things. And, you know, we have just different recipes to come up with a similar result. So I, I guess, no, there's no real significant turning points uh, in that sense, it's, it's a matter of just being open to what's happening and rather than follow, being a follower of change, being a leader of change. Fantastic. So uh, one of the things I also heard you say earlier is that um, things are constantly changing. Mm. Um, and part of it is about sort of, you know, staying up with that, but like, like you say, to, to lead that change. So what does that mean for you? Yeah. Now, I'll used this story for, for quite a long time and being a, a, a leader rather than a follower, I'll describe it this way and you, you may want to cut this bit out, but um, imagine your industry as a, a dog sled team and if you're not that lead dog, the view is going to be pretty ordinary. Mm-hmm. So be that lead dog is, is the answer, I think. Right. All right. Um, what about... You know, not necessarily courses, but maybe books. Is there a book that you've found yourself referring to others, saying, you know, you've got to read this, or um, whether it's you know leadership or not? No, no, there's no, there's no real authors that. And I and I was thinking about this the other day when uh, when you uh, sent me the list of, of questions that you may ask, and 
probably Jack Stack is probably one of the few that I've sort of read most of the a one or two of his books. But when uh, a, a few years ago I started writing a book on um, my experiences as a young fellow in rural South Australia, and I told my brother, I said, I'm writing a, a book. He said, well, that's interesting. You've never read one. So I'm, I'm not a prolific reader of um, self-proclaimed experts at, 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 on different things. I'm, I tend to pick up bits and pieces all over the place and um, use my own personal experiences rather than someone else's experiences. Mm, I like that. So last question is if um, someone who you know or, again, some of our listeners have uh, an idea that they might want to start a business, be their own boss, like you say, uh, what advice do you have for them? Yeah, it's always tough to get that, that kickoff happening and I think the best way to, um, to get started is to really do your research. Investigate the, the, the need and... You know, thorough research and looking at all your possibilities on how it would work, a proper business plan, which may identify if there's a fatal flaw in in the uh, idea. Can you say a little bit more about what that means? Yeah. I know what you mean, but I want to make sure sure that our listeners... Um, in In a lot of businesses, there's what I call a fatal flaw, and that means that as you go through the business, if you haven't investigated properly, created your business plan, understood exactly what it is you're going to do, how you're going to do it, what you're going to charge, whether it's profitable. Once you do your investigation, then your assessment, you may pick up something that, sure, um, I can do this, people like it, but I, uh, the amount of money I have to charge, people aren't prepared to pay it. Because ultimately, for that situation, people will only pay what uh, what what they're prepared to pay. Mm-hmm. Something might be an excellent product, but if it's you know um, worth three times what they're prepared to pay, then it's not going to happen. And if you can't make any money out of the lower price, then it's not going to work. There's a fatal flaw, or you may not be able to produce it uh, in this country, or there's a Whatever it might be, there might be something that pops up that precludes you from doing it. But it's best to know that before you start investing a whole bunch of time and uh, and money into it and losing that time and, and money. So, and I remember when you um, when I first heard you talk about that this concept of the fatal flaw quite some a few months ago now it uh, had me thinking about my how I approached my business and thinking if I had looked for that earlier things might have been quite different so I I love the idea of being able to look for that early and being able to to find it so that you can adapt and and change yeah it can uh, it can cost you a lot of money if you uh, if you hop out and do it and invest a whole bunch of time into it and that's another thing people under um, undervalue their time and their knowledge absolutely any other final thoughts about um, advice for people wanting to start a, a business or have some kind of idea that they're, you know, maybe starting out in their own leadership journey and a bit reluctant? What are the, any any other words of wisdom? Be a good listener. Ask a lot of questions. Do a lot of research. I think that's probably the one of the keys to it. Um, you know, we all might have a good idea, but um, 
you know, making it happen is, is, the, is the trick, isn't it? Making it happen and making some, uh, some money out of it. And that's what it's all about. We all want to uh, live and provide for our families. And, and if we're going to do something like that, we need to be able to do that, have the, have the capital and funds to do those things. Absolutely. Vern, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. It's been a, a real pleasure. You're most welcome. You can really hear the dedication to community in this conversation. I love that he looks at business as a vehicle to support the 25 families that are his staff. He doesn't take for granted that he's drawn this revenue from people in the local area, and his commitment to giving back to that community really comes from the heart. He's an incredibly generous human being and runs the kind of business that you want to have in your area. One that's dedicated to giving back, not out of altruism or philanthropy, but out of an appreciation for the success they've had coming from their customers. And he can see the value in the balance between a hand out and a hand up, that it's not just, you know, one is better than the other, that having a balance of the two is really important. And that for some, being able to get seed funds is the difference between being able to start a business and not. And in the case of the carpenter's apprentice, he can see a different way that would make more sense based on the experience he's had, seeing people retiring and starting a business. And yeah, why reinvent the wheel? Again, recognizing the role that government has to play in supporting business as well. But the focus of our conversation was about mentoring. And it didn't come out in the interview as much as I'd hoped, but he's clearly dedicated and sees it as an obligation to share the knowledge from years of running a successful community-oriented company. And you've heard me say in the past about Jan Owen from episode four, that she says if you're over 40 and you don't have a mentor under 30, you're crazy. And she's about reverse mentoring. I'm a fan of mutual mentoring. Everyone has something to offer, and mentors learn from their mentees. And especially today, when those of us who have grown up with the technology and you know, the digital dinosaurs who struggle with technology, if we want to bridge that gap, perhaps those of us who are tech-savvy could learn a bit more about how to teach it in a way that people can move from being frustrated and not knowing how to use their phones to being able to enjoy learning and to have an experience of what technology can do for us. When we just take over the keyboard, learning doesn't really happen. See if you can guide them with a lot of patience and understanding. I think there's also some scope for those of us who struggle with technology to be perhaps open to learning in a different way and to see the role of our attitude towards technology, the role that it plays in our ability to learn. So back to mentoring in general. Let's look at what we can take to heart from this conversation. Have you had someone in your life that has helped you learn something that you value, either in a job or in a business or perhaps in life? Have you expressed your appreciation to them for the mentoring role they played? What about how you see the role of mentors in general? What role do mentors play in society? And how can you contribute to that? Is there a way that you can share what you know and what you've learned? Are there mentoring programs in your area that you could volunteer for? Or in a less formal sense, is there a person that you know that could use your help that you could offer? With sensitivity, of course, recognizing that people struggle to ask for help and often don't know they need help. And not everyone's open to it. Like I said, I wish I was more open to it when I was starting my business. I really struggled with the idea that someone would offer their time and expertise without being paid for it. And I didn't want to ask for that. 
when I did get to a point where I was struggling and I became open about it, I had a couple of offers and one was from a woman that I had a lot of admiration for. And she was really clear in her offer. It was six coaching sessions via Skype because she lives in a different city. And wow, did that make a difference to me. I was so grateful for her generosity. So have a think about who you can ask to be a mentor or who you can offer to be a mentor to, and perhaps it's the same person. Maybe you can try that mutual mentoring idea, and if you do, let me know. I'm interested to hear about it and anything in relation to what you're getting from listening to Tall Poppy. And of course, we welcome feedback of all kinds. You can contact me via poppy at tathrastreet.com or to help your fellow listeners make an informed choice, a review will make a difference to them. And honestly, to me too. Hey, I'd like to acknowledge our listeners from Sri Lanka and South Africa and Japan and Germany. I appreciate you for being part of the Tall Poppy community. Thanks for being with us. Next week, I talk to David Holzmer, who's recently finished his PhD and is an amazing thought leader in the space of successfully navigating disruption and creating emotionally intelligent and highly engaged workforces. Can't wait for that one. Catch you on the flip side. <laughs>